Hello and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 631 for release on Sunday, March 28, 2021. Today on WaveScan, Moon Bounce Radio, Part 2. What is Radio Emma Talk? And the Australian DX Report. Two weeks back here in WaveScan, we presented the story of Moon Bounce Radio from the European perspective. And this week, we focus our attention on the American initiative for using the moon as a passive reflector of radio signals from planet Earth. Interestingly, it was the focus of one man alone throughout much of his professional life that finally brought success to this venture for the United States. That man was John Hibbett DeWitt, and Ray Robinson has his story. Thanks, Jeff. In 1922, 16-year-old John H. DeWitt constructed the first radio broadcasting station in Nashville, Tennessee, which he installed in his parents' living room. He launched his new radio station under the call sign WDAA, with just 15 watts on the common channel 360 metres, 833 kHz, on June 30th, 1922. Three years later, he also assisted in the installation of the first radio transmitter for another medium-wave broadcasting station in Nashville, station WSM, which was inaugurated with 1,000 watts on 1060 kilohertz at 15th Avenue S in Nashville on October 5th, 1925. After that, John DeWitt served with Bell Laboratories in New York for eight years, and then he returned to his beloved Nashville as the chief engineer for the now quite famous medium-wave station WSM, home of the Grand Ole Opry, in 1932. Almost immediately, he developed plans to maximise the coverage potential for his WSM radio station, which included the installation of a 50-kilowatt transmitter, the highest power permitted in the United States, and the erection of a radio tower that would be the tallest in North America. The location for the new transmitter and tower was an isolated country area some 12 miles south of Nashville. A 29-acre site on Concord Road, Highway 253, was chosen, just off Interstate Highway I-65 and near to the L&N railway line. An ornate transmitter building was constructed, a huge 878-foot-tall diamond-shaped Knox tower was erected, and an emergency studio was installed in the basement of the building. Back then, the new WSM radio tower was the tallest in North America, a record that it held for nearly 10 years. This powerful new radio complex was taken into service on October 5, 1932, and at that time, medium-wave radio station WSM was just five years old. During World War II, the United States Government War Department chose the WSM Tower as the tallest in the United States to serve as an official backup emergency radio station for communication with American submarines when other forms of communication failed. Now, in 1940, John DeWitt at WSM constructed an 80-watt low-frequency shortwave transmitter and receiver for WGN in Chicago for use in live outside broadcasts. 
However, before this double unit was delivered to the new owners in Chicago, and therefore while it was still with WSM, engineer DeWitt configured this combination transmitter and receiver to function on 138 MHz in what we would today call the 2 meter band, with the intent of making an experimental bounce transmission to the moon. Perhaps he was hoping he could receive a reflected signal from the moon two and a half seconds later, on a frequency 300 Hz higher due to the Doppler effect caused by the speed of the moon in space. Ultimately, on the evening of May 20, 1940, DeWitt in Nashville, Tennessee did focus a low-power, very high-frequency radio signal at the surface of the moon. Because of subsequent experiments, we now know there must have been a radio signal reflected from the moon back to the Earth. However, because the transmitted signal was so weak, only 80 watts, there was no reflected signal detected back on Earth on that occasion. Almost six years later, John DeWitt tried again to bounce a radio signal, or a radar signal actually, from the surface of the moon. By this time, he was a lieutenant colonel in the Army Signal Corps at Fort Monmouth near Belmar, New Jersey, and he assembled available electronic equipment for a second era of moon bounce experimentation. The equipment used was a Set Complete Radio, or SCR, Model 271, which included two radio towers placed side by side, together with a crystal-controlled radar transmitter and receiver. The radar transmitter with a power of 3 kilowatts was modified for an output of 50 kilowatts, and the enhanced antenna system produced an effective radiated power, or ERP, of 10 megawatts. The transmission frequency was 112 megahertz, just above the standard international FM band 2. The first transmission test was made during the evening of January 10, 1946, and a moon bounce echo from the moon was successfully received back on Earth. The reflected signal from the surface of the moon, as received on Earth, was calculated at considerably less than 1 watt. The Signal Corps at Fort Monmouth made several additional successful moon bounce tests back then, all identified as a part of Project Diana. An attractive and now valuable QSL card was printed to verify reception reports from international radio monitors who were able to hear the moon bounce signals. So what did they learn from Project Diana? Just two observations. First, in order to gain adequate propagation for a radio signal through the normally reflective ionosphere that surrounds the Earth, it's necessary to utilise a very high frequency channel considerably higher than the normal medium wave and short wave broadcasting channels. And second, the power loss from the very high frequency radio signal to the Moon and back to the Earth again shows a degradation loss greater than 1 billion percent. And we'll have more Moonbounce radio information, and quite remarkable information actually, in a future edition. For now, back to you, Jeff. Well, we look forward to that, Ray. Some very sad news from NASWA, the North American Shortwave Association, via Glenn Hauser's World of Radio. Pirate radio enthusiast and columnist George Zeller died the morning of March 20th from a house fire in Cleveland, Ohio, caused by electrical overloading. We remember him especially from his enjoyable animation of the raffles that were held at the Winter SWL Fests in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. More sad news from Dario Gabrielli via the Asociación Española de Radio Escucha. 
The voice of the Islamic Republic of Iran announced in its Spanish program on March 21st that this was their last day of transmission on shortwave. Here's the very short announcement in Spanish. Apreciado radio oyentes, muchos nos han seguido durante años, lo cual agradecemos infinitamente. Sin embargo, con gran pesar les informamos que a partir del 21 de marzo se interrumpirá la transmisión de la onda corta de nuestra radio. Y en adelante podrán escucharnos a través de la página web de Hispan TV, así que no perdemos el contacto. Esperamos que nos sigan por medio de Internet. The announcement indicated that the Voice of Iran programs in Spanish would continue to be heard via Internet only. We don't know yet if this ceasing of shortwave broadcasts from Iran applies to any other languages. And Ruben Guillermo Margenet in Argentina informed us that some other important shortwave broadcasts will be ending on March 27th, which is the last day of the B-20 broadcast season. These are the Portuguese and Spanish broadcasts of NHK Radio Japan on 6195 kHz at 0900 and 0930 UTC, respectively, via WHRI in South Carolina, USA. Here's the announcement from NHK in Portuguese that Ruben Marginet sent us. Temos um aviso importantíssimo. Comunicamos que a NHK World Japan deixará de fazer a transmissão em ondas curtas de sua transmissão em português para a América do Sul no dia 27 de março, sábado. Pois é, essa medida foi tomada por conta do fechamento da estação retransmissora nos Estados Unidos. Então, por favor, a partir do dia 28 de março, domingo, ouçam nossos noticiários e programas através do website oficial ou pelos aplicativos gratuitos da emissora. Vocês poderão ouvir também por podcast ou ver as notícias mais recentes e outras informações lá no Facebook. Esperamos que vocês continuem a ouvir e a apreciar os vários conteúdos da NHK World Japan a qualquer hora e em qualquer lugar através do seu computador, tablet ou smartphone. Infelizmente, pelo rádio, né, pelas ondas curtas, a transmissão será suspensa. And that was the Portuguese language announcement from NHK that they were ending broadcasts on shortwave to South America in Portuguese and Spanish uh, as of March 27th from WHRI in South Carolina. Well, WHRI was sold last year to the owner of WBCQ in Maine, and all of the former programming on WHRI has been canceled, including relays of Radio Korea and the voice of Vietnam. Radio Japan continues with a daily Spanish broadcast to Central America via WRMI in Florida at 0400 UTC on 5985 kHz. On March 13th, the European DX Council, EDXC, held its second-ever virtual meeting on the Zoom platform with around 40 DXers and shortwave listeners from all around Europe and a few from other continents as well. EDXC Secretary General Chrissy Brand in England announced that this year's EDXC conference is tentatively planned for September 17th to 19th in Bucharest, Romania. On Friday, the first day of the conference, there was a tour scheduled of Radio Romania International, one of the last major shortwave broadcasters left in Europe. 
But in view of the COVID situation and international travel restrictions, the meeting is not yet confirmed. Up-to-date information can be found on the EDXC website, www.edxc.org. In addition to general discussions at the latest EDXC virtual meeting, there were two very interesting presentations. One of them was by Jim Salmon, the British producer of a monthly DX program called Radio Amatoc. That's E-M-M-A-T-O-C. Here's part of Jim's talk. Hello to everyone. I'm Jim Salmon. Uh, I live in Chelmsford in the UK. Uh, very lucky to live here because Chelmsford has a great radio connection, being the home of the first radio factory in the UK, Guglielmo Marconi's factory. Uh, but primarily, I'm here today to talk about Radio Amatoc. I thought I'd split my talk into three sections. Firstly, how I got interested in radio, then uh, me as a listener, and then moving on to being a broadcaster. Uh, a couple of, uh, say, point, uh, well, a very poignant thing to start with. I always wonder how I got interested in radio, because it is a bit of a strange hobby. I'm sure we'll all admit that. Um, and uh, I, um, a few years ago, I found on, uh, online and I suddenly thought, well, that's interesting. Uh, so the BBC Empire Service, which I think became the BBC World Service, uh, started in December 1932. And I thought well, that's interesting because my, my dear mother was born in 1932. Uh, in fact, she was born in December 1932. In fact, she was born on the 19th of December 1932. So um, that's quite nice for me because uh, I, I'm a great fan of the BBC World Service. And I like the fact that my mother was born on the actual day that the BBC Empire Service started. On a, on a much, much lesser note, um, the Today programme on Radio 4, which is not the longest uh, running programme, but a very long running programme, well-respected programme. Uh, I don't know if you can read that on the screen share there, but it was uh, it launched in October 1957. I think you know where I'm going to go with this. It launched on the 28th of October 1957, and that was the day I was born. So um, I, I share my birth, not my birthday, but my birth date with the Today programme. So 28th of October is when I was born. Um, so moving on to what got me interested in radio, perhaps that's, perhaps that's the fate or the coincidence. I don't know. Perhaps it's fate that I should be interested in radio. Uh, so born in 1957 means that um, in 1970, I was 13 years old. And uh, it was a great time to be listening to the radio, listening to music. And this uh, brightly coloured ship turned up off the Essex coast and uh, started transmitting as Radio North Sea International. And I have to say, I was hooked from the start, listened to the dramas and, and, the, uh, and the, the jamming and everything that went along with that radio station. So that got me interested in, in listening to the radio. Um, then became interested in other stations that were then transmitting off the Dutch coast. This was a fascinating station, Capital Radio from the King David. Lovely aerial system on this ship. Um, as a radio ham, that's probably more interesting than, uh, than, than some of the programmes were. So it wasn't very successful. They had a lot of problems with it, but that was a, an interesting station. Um, another station that I really loved listening to as a kid was Radio Atlantis. Uh, especially in 1974, when they, uh, before they closed down, they ran an, an all English uh, uh, programming for a week. And that was a very good station. But of course, the station that really captured me at that time was Radio Caroline, which had come back. And uh, I listened to Caroline continuously. Um, 
from their return in 97 sank in 1980 actually listened to the was listening at the time when their ship was was sinking in the and the and the crew were taken off on the lifeboat um never believed they'd ever return uh, but thankfully i was proven wrong because uh uh, in 1983, they returned with an amazing vessel called the Ross Revenge. And with this amazing 300-foot mast, they pr produced a, a very good signal. And throughout the 1980s, uh, well, up until that mast fell down, they, they produced a very good, strong signal and some excellent programming. So I listened to Caroline then um, until, they went, until they had to shut down in 1990. And uh, still listen today. One of the fortunate things about living in Chelmsford is that the Ross Revenge is now, albeit with a much smaller mast, is anchored in the River Blackwater, which is only 20 miles away from me. So uh, often when we're driving around Essex, we like visiting the coastline. Uh, we can see this little red dot and I'm always uh, looking out for the Caroline ship. So uh, I took this picture about three years ago and here's myself and my good lady Anne. And we went out on a boat trip to the Ross Revenge. Uh, from West Mersey and um, spent about two hours on board and a uh, fascinating ship. I have, have been on it before as a visitor uh, when it was out uh, in the South Falls Head, um, but it's still a fascinating place to visit. And if you ever get the chance, I highly recommend it. So, so that's, I guess, really how I became interested in listening to the radio. I, above all, I am a listener. I, I, I put myself as a listener uh, first, because I think that's one of the most important things. That was Jim Salmon, producer of the DX program, Radio Emma Talk, which is heard on shortwave stations such as Channel 292 and WRMI. We'll have more of Jim's talk on an upcoming edition of WaveScan. Right now, let's go to Melbourne, Australia. Here's Bob Padula with his DX report for this month. Information from the Ionospheric Prediction Service in Sydney. New South Wales here in Australia advises that solar activity continues to be assessed at a very low level. The 10.7 centimetre solar radio flux has fallen to 78, that's 78, and the daily equivalent smooth sunspot number has dropped to 17.17. The IPS also reports that those figures are not, not expected to change significantly in the immediate future. So it means that during the, the current year of the present solar cycle number 24, high frequency propagation on long distance paths on darkness or semi-darkness circuits on frequencies above about 10 MHz will continue to be unreliable. However, frequencies below 10 MHz for darkness circuits will be somewhat more satisfactory. First of all, some station, shortwave station news. Digital Radio Mundial Transmission Mode Frequencies for Radio France International 24 hours, that's midnight to midnight on 3965 non-directional to Western Europe in French, that's very low power. On 21620, 0830-0900 to Southern Asia in French, that's 150 kilowatts and 105 degrees antenna. Also 1130-1200, same frequency, 21620, same target area, Southern Asia in French, 
and same transmitter power and antenna and 1330 to 1400 21620 southern Asia in French 150 kilowatts and the antenna 105 degrees and 1530 to 1600 on 15310 again to southern Asia in French 150 kilowatts 105 degrees and 1730 all transmissions from the Isidon France transmitting station. Some information about Radio New Zealand International uh, RNZ Pacific. It's made some changes to its schedule and these are the new frequencies. 1959 to 
Southeast Asia in Chinese, again with 450 kilowatts, antenna 106 degrees, and finally 1200 to 1400 on 13810 again, through near the Middle East in Chinese, and transmitter power there was 100 kilowatts, and the antenna 239 degrees. And those transmissions were are from the Kashi transmitting site in China. And reception in Eastern Europe of those frequencies suggests that 13810 has been heard quite strongly. 0605 to 0855 noted at various times. Just a reminder that full detail ADXR QSL cards are available by contacting this address. The URL is simply adxr.org. I'll give it once again, adxr.org. At that address you'll find all the details about how you may send in a reception report and you can receive a QSL card via postal mail, that's physical postal mail, or via the internet. So until our next program, this is Bob in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. Wishing you all good listening, and thanks for being with us. Thank you, Bob. And let me just mention a, a quick reception report here from Jouad Saber, and he is in Sidi Hajjaj, Setat, Morocco. He picked up WaveScan on 15770 kilohertz from Okeechobee, Florida, at 1130 UTC, using his Texan PL380 receiver, and he says it was a distance of 6,865 kilometers from Okeechobee to Sidi Hajjaj in Morocco. Manuetto a trio from Joseph Haydn's Le Miracle Symphony No. 96 in D major ends this edition of Wavescan. Thank you for listening to the International DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson. Next week, the radio saga on two small islands south of New Zealand. Well, Jerry Plummer will be with us with more from the HFCC conference and our Japan DX report. Several QSL cards are available for WaveScan. Send your AWR and KSDA reception reports for the program to the AWR address in Bangkok, Thailand, and also to the station your radio is tuned to, WRMI or WWCR or KVOH or Voice of Hope Africa, or to IRRS Italy or to the AWR relay stations that carry WaveScan. Remember, too, you can send a reception report to the DX reporters when their segment is on the air. Here in the program, they will also verify with their own colorful QSL card. Return postage and an address label are always appreciated. The email address for AWR QSLs is qsl at awr.org. The postal address for AWR QSLs is Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234, Prakanong, that's P-R-A-K-A-N-G-O-N-G, 
O N G, Bangkok, one zero one one zero, Thailand. Again, Adventist World Radio, PO Box two three four, Prakanong, Bangkok, one zero one one zero, Thailand. And the email address for other correspondence to WaveScan, not reception reports, is wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida, USA. Till next week, good listening, everyone.